with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Trade ministers worldwide have gathered in Abu Dhabi earlier this week for a World Trade Organization meeting that aims to set new global commerce rules. Don't take economic resilience for granted, and that is the message from the WTO chief Ngozi Kongjo Ivela. And speaking to ministers in Abu Dhabi, the WTO is hoping for progress on boosting cooperation in fishing, agriculture, and e-commerce. Director General Okonjo Ivela told countries that there was no room for false optimism. So, what are the most significant challenges for the global trade, and what does it mean for the global e? Economy. What's China's contribution to the global growth? So, for more on this, joined us on the line now are Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University; Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation; and also Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novum Archi Technologies. So, Yan, first of all, I will start with you. We just heard the WTO Director General there seeming to be warning. Against the、uh, complacency, she said, "Don't take economic resilience for granted." So, with that context, what's your view on the global economy this year? What are the main challenges? Right. So, I think this year,、um, first of all, I think countries are looking at a relatively slower growth rate.、Um, the global GDP forecast、uh, is estimated to grow at three point one percent, which is much lower than the average decade growth.、Um, Prior to the pandemic, and the inflation rate is going to remain elevated in many countries,、um, and the average is 5.8 percent. And that, you know, on top of the high inflation and slow growth, we have geopolitical tensions, regional conflicts,、um, and the inflationary pressure, supply chain, you know, disruptions,、um, and more importantly,、um, trade protections. So I think all of these would indicate, you know,、um, 2024 would not be a very sort of smooth selling selling economy、uh, for the global economy. And so、um, with trade,、um, as the IMF has warned,、uh, this kinds of、uh, trade protectionism and trade fragmentation could cost up to seven percent of the global GDP over time. So I think that's where the WTO、uh, General Secretary was warning. That you know, without trade and without you know global economic、uh, cooperation between countries, we're likely to suffer from you know the slower growth、um, and inflation, and also of course、um, the less、uh, you know potential to combat climate change, poverty and inequality, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I think you know the warning、um, is very uh, uh, serious. So Jiahe, so what do you think are the various factors that are influencing the global economy this year? When we talk about the global economy, you can see there are various、uh, types of challenges. The first one would be the global trade is still fluctuating and fragile. We're not really sure about how good the global trade will be recovering. It looks like the political tension. Has been, you know, coming and going, and businessmen are not that confident about the global trading environment. 
Uh, and the second goes to the fact that the inflation rate is still pretty high. Mm. So these are the challenges that's really facing the global economy. I mean, don't even mention the, the war that is still going on between Russia and Ukraine, which is posing a lot of pressure onto the European economy as well. Mm. So, Dr. Joe, so what are the most significant challenges for the uh, global trade policy negotiators? And what reforms do you think are necessary to improve the flow of global trade? Yeah, as we have uh, watched about the you know the discussion about uh, what is happening about the World Trade Organization, we still see there are nine areas that they are trying to address some improvements, like for some accession of new members to in, in expand the the WTO platform for the you know cooperation on the international trade. While there are still a lot of things that are happening, so I, I think that it is a really a challenging time for us to decide the ways for going forward. Like the most important thing of that is trying to uh, re-establish the, the dispute settlement mechanism in WTO and they are also trying to push more reform on the WTO organization. As I'm now in the Barbados uh, about talking about the co- uh, cooperation between the South House, I think that's a really important thing, not only about the uh, you know, inflation, but uh, all, uh, the geopolitical things and also the transition to the new methods of development, like for the green development, also the direct digital economies, how can we improve the transition with uh, much more smoothly ways, not like just the EU are doing like the CBAM and it's really putting some restriction on the world and it's a reflection about how can we cooperate with the multilateralism and the unilateralism. So it's a really problem that for many of the countries trying to address the path to leading to the new recovery and the more sustainable ways of development. Mm. And so, yeah, actually, the IMF forecast the global growth as 3.1% for this year, upgrading the outlook for China and the United States. So let's look at China first. If you look at the number, China's GDP growth was 5.2% last year. And under the global background, it's a relatively high growth rate. And a lot of countries will be happy with that. But uh, there are critics outside China talking about the challenges. So what do you think are the challenges that China is facing right now? Right. So I think a lot of the commentators will say, you know, China are facing uh, really stark challenges um, that are sort of the deflationary challenge, uh, debt challenge, demographic challenge, and decoupling challenge. Uh, But I think a lot of these so-called challenges are overblown. Um, I think it's not nearly as severe as some of the commentators would make it like to be. So for instance, uh, when you talk about deflationary pressure, uh, yes, I think we definitely have the room to improve consumer demand. Um, But at the same time, I think we have still a lot of fiscal power that would help to boost you know, consumer sentiment, confidence, and government spending could really help, um, you know, with drive more uh, domestic demand. And when it comes to debt, um, well, a lot of debt are at the governmental level, especially at the local government level, uh, which is to say that it's not that it's not important. It is important to address these debt issue at the local government level. But these are public debt or semi-public debt, um, which I think still has room to um, to improve. And it's not going to be, you know, like the household debt or financial uh, or, or corporation debt. Um, that I think would would be a lot more depressive for the economy. So China does not have that problem. Mm. Um, and then when it comes to demographic, I think maybe in the longer term uh, this could be more of a challenge. But at least in the short term, you know, we have productivity growth. We have um, a lot of young uh, people are looking for jobs. 
and uh, we have the silver economy that we can grow to have a lot more, you know, demand side uh, uh, potential. So I don't think that demographics would be a huge challenge in the short term. And finally, I think the decoupling. Uh, yes, there are some concern about foreign investment, but you know, 2023 we still see. Uh, you know, $153 billion of FDI utilization in China. So I think, you know, uh, given that, yes, the domestic and international uh, environments could be challenging, uh, we still have a lot of room for policy maneuvers. The property sector is still, you know, dragging down the economy, but it's less so um, as time goes on. Um, and again, there are many potentials to boost domestic uh, consumption demand and also to advance technologies, manufacturing, um, smart manufacturing, green energy, green tech. So I think there are still many uh, potentials for this new productive forces um, to drive economic forward. Mm. And Dr. Joe, so a rhetoric has emerged recently in some Western countries which claims that uh, China's economy or the comparative strength is peaking. So how do you view this rhetoric? Yeah, I think that it's uh, very natural for many of the economies trying to make better use of its resources. As for China, there are still a lot of potentials. In my understanding, there are uh, four elements that are really important for China's you know, the future of the development. The first is that we have a very sound basis about the population, about the market. It is still developing, I mean, not only about the, the quantity, but also about the quality. And second is that we have the conditions, like the cooperation with the different sectors, uh, manufacturing and services, they are developing very quick to have a better cooperation to develop the better future. And third one is that China has uh, you know, the willingness to open our market and trying to integrate the different resources to have a better cooperation in China. And the fourth one, that we have actions. Well, many countries are talking about that. How can we train, transfer from the traditional ways to new ways? But China is actually doing something like mm. the free trade and also a lot of platforms that we are able to have, uh, you know, a better exploration of a better development. So I don't think that the peak has reached Maybe there are some some small uh, small hills, but we still are trying to get a higher ones, and that is definitely not only done by China ourselves. We are cooperating with many of the you know the similar or uh, similar minded partners to reach those goals together. Mm-hmm. So Jiahe, so China wants to see more outside investment or foreign investment into the country. And the latest report by the American Chamber of Commerce in South China says that despite the ongoing trade tensions between China and the US, more than 80% of the companies say they won't decouple from China. So what are the main reasons they choose choose to stay despite all these challenges? Well, basically speaking, if we look at the global investment in recent years, well, we are facing problems uh, because there is a political tension between China and the US. Uh, because when businesses are making investments, they talk about years, you know, they don't just say, okay, there is a, well, in recent months, we have seen that the, there is a slight recovering of the relation between China and United States relationship, and the US has just approved more flights from China to the US. But this is a very short-term thing. So businesses are waiting for a longer-term confidence, uh, because if you make an investment, you're talking about, you know, three years, five years investment. 
But、mm. another thing is that if you look over the world, is there any place that is perfect? You don't find places that are perfect. If you go to Africa, you find the infrastructure is much less competitive compared with China. Also, if you go to Europe, you see the war is going on there.、Uh, you, you go to Japan, you find the cost is just too much. You know, go to South America, you find the inflation is soaring.、Mm. So you have problems all over the places. And if you come back to China, you find this is an economy that still grows at five point two percent last year. Amid the real estate,、uh, you know, real estate problem, so you can see that the, the, if you look into the sub industries of China, especially the consumption sector, you see the growth is still tremendous. I have seen companies growing at seven、uh, to ten percent last year. Many companies growing at that rate,、mm-hmm. and I see the any because I read the any reports of so many listed companies. So if you're talking about investments, then we are probably China is still one of the best places you can find in the world with a stable political environment, with a very Stable monetary policy.、Uh, the inflation is really under control. With a large economy, very perfect infrastructure, all these kind of things. So it's still a pretty good choice for global capital. Hmm. And Jiahe, so China has introduced a raft of policies to expand the demand and boost、uh, the economic confidence,、uh, including cutting the、uh, benchmark mortgage reference rate, relaxing some property, you know, curves, etc., etc. So will property sector、uh, play a healthy role in China's economy? Do you think? If you look at the property sector of China, this is one of the biggest problems the Chinese economy is facing. It's, it's even having a much larger impact compared with the global trade of China. Because if you look at the trade, China has got some problem with the U.S., but has got a massive growth with the ASEAN countries. So if you look at the property sector, that's something that we are trying to deal with. Um, on one hand, is that the, currently the property price in China, especially in the metropolises,、uh, the property prices are still pretty expensive. If you if you check out the large cities in China, the rental yield is really less than two percent, usually around one to one point five percent. The rental yield is not high,、uh, and usually we consider a property sector to have. A rental yield of three to four percent to be healthy level. So that means we have to wait for a long period of time、uh, for the rent to increase or the price to decrease by twenty percent or thirty percent to make that rental yield to be a healthy level.、Uh, so that's the problem that's facing the. Uh, real estate market at this moment, because if we save it,、uh, you know, if we boost this market as、uh, through a very simple way, just makes the property price to come back again and the trading volume to come back again, then that's posing even larger、uh, threats to the economy in the future. That's why Chinese economy is. You know, Chinese authorities are not doing that. They're not trying to make the property price rise up again. But、mm. what they are doing is that they are trying to maintain the stability of the property market. As long as this market is stable, as long as people, when people purchase the houses and the flats, and they got their houses being delivered, which is something Chinese government and the central bank are really hard working at, and has actually achieved a pretty good results. You don't see this kind of news on the、uh, media anymore this year.、Uh, so. As long as this、uh, market is remaining stable for the next five to seven years, doesn't pose a large threat to the economy. Then, with the growth potential of the Chinese economy, the property market will come back to the healthy status again in the next five to seven years because the income of people are increasing every year. Which means seven to ten years later, we will be earning probably a hundred percent more than what we're earning today. Then the property price will be low compared to the people what people are earning at that time. So time. Really cures the property market, and the most important thing、uh, for this market right now is stability.
Mm-hmm. And so we talk about the China's economy, and yeah, let's talk about the U.S. and Europe inflation issue. Uh, actually, in the U.S., is at three point one percent in January, and the Federal Reserve they want to get inflation down to about two percent. But high interest rate is not good for consumer spending, right? So, do you think there will be a rate cut in March? I I think um, that really depends on uh, a number of.、Uh, You know, data point right now. I think the consensus is that about sixty percent of the market participants、uh, believe that the Fed is going to make a rate cut in March.、Um, but of course, there are forty percent of the people who don't believe that's the case.、Uh, probably would have to wait later um, in um, in June for the Fed to cut the interest rate.、Um, so, in addition to the timing of the cuts, but I think there's also you know how many times they're going to cut. Uh, some people would say three times, and others would say, "Well, it should be six times." So I think that is also quite controversial.、Um, and you are totally right that high interest rate is not good for consumer spending.、Uh, even though we have been seeing that consumers remaining very resilient, they have been spending a lot、um, using the credit cards. You know, even though there's much higher, you know, consumer credit balance and also the the interest that they have to pay on those balance. And yet, I think you know, with the consumers still are willing to spend, we tend to see the labor market still continue to be tight, and、um, that inflationary pressure is still probably going to be there. And so that would make again the Fed hesitate to cut rates.、Mm. And yeah, actually, the U.S. market, the stock market, is quite high. So if the rate don't drop in March and the markets, you know, drag down a bit, what could that do to the U.S. economy? Right, the U.S. stock market right now is very high, and it's largely driven, you know, by AI, by chip.、Um, some of the so-called magnificent seven has really uh, show, uh, you know, great momentum in their stock price uh, rises. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, because the rate cuts have been priced in、uh, with the expectation that the Fed is going to cut the interest rate in March. So you're right. If the Fed does not do that, I think that would definitely,、uh, you know, give a negative shock、uh, to the stock market. But that said, I think it probably won't make a general、uh, big dent、uh, to the U.S.、Uh, the economy、uh, because, like I said, the consumers are still willing to spend, and the U.S. government is still running,、um, you know, a pretty loose fiscal policy. It's an election year. It's not likely that the, the Federal Reserve is going to start, you know, tighten their um, spending. Um, and with the high interest rate, the Fed is basically, you know, injecting six hundred billion dollars of interest income to the private sector. Um, so I think with all that,、um, it's unlikely that the U.S. economy is going to take a big hit if the Fed does not start cutting rates in March.、Mm-hmm. But going long term, long run,、um, I think you know without rate cuts, with the interest rate remaining high, eventually I think that's going to create some negative ripple effects on the market, on the consumer spending, and so that could start to. Um, drag on the economy.、Mm. So yeah, also talking about Germany's economy. Actually, Germany's central bank has been talking about the country being in a possible recession. It's kind of ironic given the timing because Germany was just moved into the third place in terms of the largest economy in the world. So is Germany facing a bigger problem right now? Sure. I mean, the German economy is not doing well.、Um, even though, interestingly, they just swapped place with Japan, and now German Germany is going to be the third largest economy in the world. But still,、um, the annual growth rate for Germany in 2023 is a negative 0.3 percent.、Um, but of course, they avoided a technical recession because they revised the Q3 growth rate to now zero. 
percent. So even though the last quarter grew at negative 0.3 percent and the entire year uh, growth rate is negative 0.3 percent, they are technically not in recession. So there are major problems facing Germany's economy. Uh, energy crises, energy cost is obviously one important ones. Um, you know, due to the Russian uh, Ukraine conflict, uh, Germany's energy cost has been rising. That led to you know deindustrialization in some sectors, especially you know heavy energy uh, use sectors like chemical industries, automobiles. Um, so that definitely is a big problem. Um, but there's definitely other problems like. For example, their wage growth has been pretty flat in the past two, um, two three, uh, almost decades. Um, they also now facing a big budget crisis um, due to the you know constitutions um, that the economy is no longer quote unquote in, in emergency. So they're not allowed to use um, you know some of the emergency money to invest in climate you know related industries. So that created a six. 60 billion euro budget hole um, in, in the fiscal spending. So this is going to drag down the economy. Mm-hmm. So when you look at their economy, consumer spending was down, government spending was down, industry and construction were all down. So it's very unlikely that they are going to grow uh, very much uh, this year in 2024. Um, the forecast is they're probably going to grow barely, you know, 0.2%. Um, so I think the, the, the problem is going to continue um, to weigh on uh, you know, Germany's economy, although their inflation has, uh, you know, declined very drastically, um, you know, from uh, December last year's 3.7% to now uh, in January 2.9%. And, you know, another, I think, positive factor is, you know, their exports are still doing well, uh, even though it fell by 1.8% last year, but the import fell even more. So that created a positive trade balance that helped the economy. So mm-hmm. going 2024, I think it really depends on you know, if um, the global economy, global trade is doing well, um, then that might be helpful. Um, and also, you know, depends on how their farmer protest and how the wage negotiations and how the immigration, you know, policy are going to pan out. And all these, I think, will affect Germany's economy this year. Mm, so, Jiahe, so what do you think are the major problems of the German economy? I, I read about the data of the German economy. Well, they, they are currently facing multiple problems. So GDP growth is coming to an active territory. And if you look at the electricity use, actually been decreasing. Um, and they got the inflation problem as well, especially the inflation, uh, uh, you know, uh, apart from the energy price, because as we talked before, the energy price has been dropping in recent uh, months. And that posed a uh, a good support to the inflation, but you can't count on that because the oil price can just jump back uh, within a few months. Uh, and the prices in Germany beside the energy price has been still in a high territory. So that's at a risk. Um, the good thing for the German economy right now is the unemployment rate is at a record low. So that means people are still making money. So um, all these things adding up, uh, the biggest outside pressure that Germany Germany is currently having is that the war between Russia and Ukraine is costing a lot of money. I mean, well, you, you have two aspects when we talk about costing money. One is the very obvious aspect is that Germany has to support a lot of supports to this war. But on the other side is that the, the, the thing b- below the surface is that 
many businesses are not daring to make long-term investment. So that means the business activity is not vivid in Germany right now because of the political problem. So that's why we can see many German companies are actually coming to invest in China. They have to grab this one of the world's largest market. Uh, and the cooperation between China and Germany is not only benefiting China, but also a very good support to the German economy. Mm. And so, yeah, we also want to talk about Japan because Japan's coal CPI rises 2% year-on-year in January. And markets expect the Bank of Japan to end the negative rates in March or in April. So do you think it will happen or what does it mean for Japan's economy? Right. I think Japan's case is also a very interesting one, Um, you know, because of their low interest rate and because of the policy of trying to devalue the exchange rates to be able to, you know, export out of their uh, deflation in the past, you know, uh, 10, 20 years, um, their GDP measured in nominal dollar terms has contracted by 1.1% just last year in 2023. So I think that really posed a very interesting dilemma for the Bank of Japan. On the one hand, yes, now inflation is high, but this is what they have been wanting uh, for decades, right? Because the Japanese economy, you know, since the bubble burst in the late 80s, they have entered the so-called lost decade. The inflation rate was too, too low. They constantly have the deflationary pressure. And now finally, they got, you know, positive uh, uh, inflation rate of 2%. So it is not sure if the Bank of Japan really wants to crush that, right, and, and trying to reduce that inflation. And also, more importantly, I think the economy is not doing well. Um, like I said, they just had a recession, uh, a, a contraction of the GDP of 1.1% last year. So what happened in Japan is, is very interesting. I think they did end up having the inflation that they had wanted. But this is sort of the imported inflation in the sense that, you know, because the Japanese yen has depreciated close to 30% in the past two years. Mm. Um, their imports become too expensive. And so that led to the inflation. In other words, the Japanese workers, their wages have barely grown. They just grown enough um, to catch up with inflation. So people are worried about their consumer, uh, their consumption, uh, their purchasing power. Um, so the consumers are not spending and the economy contracted. Um, on the other hand, the corporates, you know, they are very cash rich, and that's why you see the stock market is booming. Um, but because of the weak consumer demand, corporations are not investing much within Japan. So I think that really presents a, a, a problem for the Japanese um, bank. Um, if they wanted to raise the rates, would that really help to stimulate domestic demand? I think that is a big question mark. And if they don't raise the rates, will the, the, the Japanese yen continue to depreciate? And would that continue to uh, fill up inflation? And again, I think that is a very interesting um, a dilemma um, to raise or not to raise. Um, either way, I think you know they, they have tremendous uh, economic challenges. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villamette University, Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novim Aki Technologies. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.